Good morning. Welcome to Living Work, Peter Church. How are you today? It's great to have you here. Let's stand together. Up on our feet, ready to celebrate this precious day that the Lord has given us. This is the day that the Lord has made. And what will we do? Rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. Let's bow our heads and our hearts and just ask the Lord to bless the time we have. Father, we are grateful to you, Lord. You are so precious to us, Lord God. And we want to center ourselves upon you, Lord. We want to fix our eyes on you, Jesus. We want to stay here, Lord, in your presence. Father, in this time of celebration and song and study and word and fellowship, Lord God, we just pray that you'd be honored in all of it, Lord God, that it would be all about you. And Father, you'd continue to lead us, Lord, in these songs that are from your word, Lord, as we sing them in praise back to you, Lord. We just pray that you would inhabit your praises as your word said, Lord. God, we ask that you would show us more of yourself as we study your word, more truth, more of the Father, more of the Son, more of the Holy Spirit, Lord God. Allow us to grow, to be more like Jesus, Lord, a little bit more today, Lord God. Father, we just thank you for your indwelling Holy Spirit, the precious gift given to us as we surrender our hearts to you, Lord. And Father, we just pray for just a touch upon each of us here, Lord God. We know there is no coincidence in day-to-day life, Lord God, and you're always drawing us to yourself. We thank you, Lord, for that, your grace and your mercy, Lord. And we pray that, Father, every soul that comes through these doors, may they truly open their hearts to you. May we open ourselves to you, Lord, and be born again of your Holy Spirit, Lord, renewed and empowered in you. God, we ask for an anointing upon Pastor Frank, Lord God, as he teaches from your word, Lord, let your spirit lead. God, we just pray for those teaching our little ones that they also may hear the truth. And accept you, Lord, into their little hearts, God. And Father, we just pray for renewing in this time today and empowering to do your will, Lord God, to advance your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hmm. I love the Hebrews. I better put my capo on, eh? You guys are on capo three, right? Just do that. (laughs) You guys, uh, enjoy reading the letter of Hebrews, anybody? Hebrews is just a great, great book. If there is a book you want to get into um, and just study more deeply, just about how God has revealed himself to us in Jesus and how Jesus fulfills all things, it's so powerful. He's our high priest. He's the offering. He's the lamb. He's all we need, amen? So let's take a few minutes and fix our eyes on him as we sing this song, Fix Your Eyes on Jesus. you away the fight tonight is overwhelming when the tears of your eyes the burdens of this life be the eyes of your heart blurred and burning let us fix our eyes on Jesus he alone is worthy you are worthy Fix our eyes on Jesus, He alone is worthy, You are worthy of praise. Oh, la 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 la
the everlasting God. You don't fade, Lord. You don't grow weary. If you know him, he lives in you. The 
seated for a moment. 
share some announcements with you, and then continue worshiping our God. Good morning, church. How are we doing today? Awesome. That's awesome. That's great. Um, It's getting really nice out, right? Today's going to be warm. Um, So I'm going to give you some great announcements today. Lots of things going on. New things, actually. Um, I love what I I saw on the slides today. Um, A few announcements. So we're going to start off with Life Givers is meeting today at 12.15 p.m. in the parent-child room after service. That's right over there. Yes, yes, that's right. <laughs> life Givers is a new ministry at Living Word for those going through a life-altering, life-threatening illness or some other type of life-altering situation such as marital crisis, death of a loved one, or a financial reversal. Hope Moms is also meeting today at 12.15 p.m. in the youth room upstairs after service. And Lighthouse is back. This is a a great ministry, Lighthouse Pregnancy Resource Center, Baby Bottle Drive. Um, This is... This is wonderful, guys. This, for those of you that don't know about Lighthouse, look up the organization. They do a lot of great things. Um, every year, we support Lighthouse Pregnancy Center by participating in their baby bottle drive. Lighthouse is a pro-life Christian organization that supports women, men, and teens facing unplanned pregnancies. They offer things like free ultrasounds after abortion, um, healing, pregnancy loss support, and provide diapers to parents in need. Uh, Please pick up a bottle in the Welcome Center, fill it up with a donation, and bring it back by Father's Day. If you're interested in becoming a member of Living Word Community Church, please fill out a membership card in the Welcome Center and drop it in the folder marked Completed Forms. Someone from our office staff will be in touch with you. And once again, if you've been coming to this, uh, to this church for a while and, and you're not a member yet and the Lord is calling you to be a member of the church, um, the Lord, uh, he, he wants us to plant our flag, right? And if God has called you to plant your flag here, then make sure that you do that, okay? Because it's not just about coming to service to listen to the word. It's also about coming together as a church and putting together these, um, these programs, right, um, for the church, for, for the family of God, um, so we can continue to learn about Jesus and bring the word to, to those that don't know about Jesus. This week's Bible studies, we have tomorrow men's and women's Bible study at 7 p.m., Tuesday Women's Bible Study at 9.45 a.m. And this is cool. I, uh, that's why I was saying that I, when I looked at the slides. I was like, oh, that's new. That's really nice. Um, the Women's Ministry is having a paint and praise night on Friday, June 9th from 6 to 8 p.m. At church, we'll be painting and worshiping the Lord. Light snacks will be offered. This is a free event, but we need to know how many people will be attending to purchase supplies. Uh, sign up with Jessica Rivera at the Welcome Center today. So, ladies, we, we ask you to join us. Okay, we need to get to know each other, right? Um, uh, the men need to get to know each other. The women need to get to know each other so we can pray for each other learn together. So I think that this is going to be a wonderful event um, so we can get to know those that we don't know yet, right, from the church. We see each other every Sunday, right? We need to start knowing each other's name and coming together and praying together. So I think that's going to be an awesome event. 
And then on Saturday, June 10th, we are having a daddy-daughter lunch for girls ages 6 to 14 years old here at the church from 11 a.m. to 1.30 p.m. Bring your dad and uncle, grandpa, or a close friend. Enjoy this special opportunity for dads and daughters to make memories that will last a lifetime. Proverbs 22.6 says, direct your children onto the right path, and when they are older, they will not leave it. This day will include lunch, games, and fun. We recommend a semi-formal dress code. Sign up in the Welcome Center today with Jessica Rivera. Another cute event, right, that, that I saw on the slides. Um, so just make sure that you attend that. So on Sunday, June 11th, we're having a Father's Day softball game and barbecue at Twinboro Field in Dumont from 12 to 4 p.m. after church. Sign up in the Welcome Center today if you're interested in attending with your family. Uh, we need to know how much food to purchase for the barbecue. Okay, so that's it for announcements. Now, um, we'd like to welcome any guests that are here for the first time. Uh, any guests, please raise your hand that are here for the first time. We'd like to welcome you. Hello. Keep your hey, hand up for a minute. Over there. It's great to see you here. Welcome. welcome. If you can please keep your hand up, our usher is going to give you some information about our church. Um, anybody else that is here for the first time, Don't we would like to welcome you. Hello. Yeah, I, welcome <laughs> over there. I saw you, yeah. <laughs> so um, our usher, someone over here. Yep. If you, if you can raise your hand, keep your hand raised. There you go. So um, once service is done, you can fill out that um, what we're giving you right now, information about our church. You can give it uh, to the sound room in the back, and we'll give you a free Jesus DVD. And if you don't have a DVD player, then you can also scan a code. Okay, so you can watch it on, on your uh, uh, phone. Okay, God bless you guys. Wow, that's a lot of exciting things, right? Really amazing, in fact. Not amazing, but... We're going to do that right now. <laughs> do you hear that? What about the offering? We're going to do the offering now. That's right. <laughs> Let's have our ushers come forward. Thank you for reminding me. <clears throat> oh, Lord, you're so good. Isn't he good? He is a God of grace and mercy, you know. We're going to sing that in a couple minutes, but um, it's just a great reminder, his grace and his mercy. You know, His grace is giving us what we don't deserve. Is that right? No, it's yes. And not giving us what we do deserve is His mercy. It's pretty powerful. Let's bow our heads and thank Him for this offering. Father, we are grateful to You, Lord. You have given us so much, Lord. Your provision is overwhelming many times, Lord God. And Father, we just ask that You would multiply what we give here this morning. Use it to continue to advance Your kingdom, Lord. Here at Living Word, Lord God, and beyond, Father. Lord, we just ask that you would just touch this offering, Lord, and multiply it. And Father, this also is a day that we remember our missionaries and we give an offering to them too, Lord. And Father, we just pray that you would multiply that offering as well as we give, Lord. We know that there is uh, so much to be done, Lord, and you've called and tugged on many hearts to do that work, Lord. And those beyond these walls as our missionaries, Father, a very challenging work ahead of them, Lord God. And we just pray that you continue to strengthen them, Lord, that what we give would be multiplied and be a, a great provision for them, Lord. And Father, we just pray that you'd be honored in all that we give. In Jesus' name, amen. He is a God of grace and mercy. If you like, you can stand whenever you like as we continue to worship the Lord. 
In your grace, Lord, you've given me a promise far beyond what I could conceive. And in your mercy, Lord, you rescued me. We are rescued in him. Amen. And the weight of the burden that brought us to our knees. Altogether lovely are your ways Filling our days Jesus, Lord of all our Prince of Peace Amazing are your ways And now you say Lord, you have satisfied me Your love so inspired me And placed this song of praise within my you are awe-inspiring for me From the mire and firmly Place my feet upon a solid rock Oh, God of grace and mercy Altogether lovely are your ways Filling our days Jesus, Lord of all our Prince of Peace Amazing are your ways and how you say satisfied you have satisfied me your love so inspired me and place this song of praise within my heart awe inspiring for me from the mire and firmly place my feet upon the silent In your grace, Lord, you've given me a promise far beyond what I can see. In your mercy, Lord, you rescued me with the burden that brought me to my knees. In your grace, in your grace, Lord, you've given me a promise. Far beyond what I could see And in your mercy, Lord, you rescued me To the way the burn that brought me to my knees God of grace and mercy, altogether lovely are your ways Fill them up, Lord Jesus, Lord of all our Prince of Peace, amazing are your ways, and how you say. Our Lord has called us by name, as you read in the scriptures. He knows everyone's name, right? He knows the stars and his name them all. But he's called you by name. How precious that is that he knows our names. Mm. 
Things that will be 
sovereign plan unfolds, the Trinity is filling human darkness, allowing us to partner in your Thank you, Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Morning. I want to invite Diane Mueller to please make her way up. This week is Diane's birthday. And a couple weeks ago was... Um, Administrative Assistant Day, so you're going to get double, double blessing. blessing. People don't know; they think that I'm the senior pastor of the church. Actually, Diane runs the show. I'm just the mouthpiece here. She's the muscle behind everything that goes on, and she holds it all together. And without her, you would not be here today. <laughs> and I really mean that. walks in the room and all these women are sitting around and he says to his wife, you complete me. No, God completes Amen. me. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, no, no, we're just, I don't think I could ever express how much I appreciate you and really all, all you do. We deal, we deal a lot with tension sometimes. I'm not, not with each other, but the you know, deaths and sickness and pain and problems and we're on, you know, the phone and we're talking about these things all the time and, uh, you know, and there's a there's a stress level there, but I just want to say the way you handle everything and manage everything, it's, uh, Thank you. you're great. And I really mean it because I hate administrative stuff. Yeah. That's not my gift. Yeah, yeah. So I just have one, one announcement, and then we'll go to the word. All teachers who teach adult, do you see that word adult? Could you say that with me? Adult. I'm not looking for the Sunday school teachers that teach the children, but everybody who teaches adult Bible studies at Living Word Community Church, mandatory meeting Wednesday, May 31st, 6.15 p.m. in my office upstairs. Be a half-hour meeting. Okay, you need to be there, okay? If you are teaching adult Bible studies, okay? You need to be there. I need to talk with you about some things and uh, some things we need to tighten up, some things we need to implement, okay? And that's an important, uh, important meeting. Okay, let's go to Mark chapter 15, 42 through 47. Two Pharisees, Jesus' burial. Stand with me for the reading of the word. Mark chapter 15, verse 42 through 47. And the word of our Lord. Now when evening had come, because it was the preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent council member who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, coming and taking courage, went into Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And Pilate marveled that he was already dead, and summoning the centurion, he asked him if he had been dead for some time. So when 
he found out from the centurion, he granted the body to Joseph. And then he brought fine linen, took him down and wrapped him in the linen. And he laid him in a tomb which had been hewn out of rock, rolled a stone against the door of the tomb. And Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, observed where he was laid. Heavenly Father, Lord, we see here in the life of Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, two men, Lord God, they, they, they came to believe in you, but they hid their belief, Lord God, from their companions. And then one day, Lord God, their faith broke through. They did a very beautiful thing and a wonderful thing, Lord God, and there's so much we can learn from these men. I pray, Lord God, that your spirit would be our teacher today, Jesus, that we would sit into right at your feet, that we would tune, Lord, our ears to hear your voice, and that, Lord God, you would speak into our lives today, and that you would be glorified here in the name of Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. So what we have here again, this is speaking of Joseph of Arimathea, a Pharisee, and I want to just take you to John 19, 38 through 42, because it was both Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus who buried Jesus. And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body of Jesus, and Nicodemus, who was another Pharisee, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 100 pounds. And then they took the body of Jesus and bound it, in strips of linen and the spices, as the custom of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a tomb, in which no one had yet been laid, so there was laid Jesus because of the Jews' preparation day, for the tomb was nearby. So it was both Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus who buried Jesus after he was crucified and died on the cross. The whole story on Friday, right, Jesus is led to Golgotha, he's led to the place of the skull, Calvary, to be crucified. When Jesus was crucified, hung on the cross those six hours that Friday from 9 o'clock to 3 o'clock, it is, it is extremely likely that Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus were there looking on. When Jesus died, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea went to Pontius Pilate and they asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised that Jesus had died so quickly because frequently people would hang on the cross for days at a time. Remember, Jesus gave up his spirit at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So it was granted to Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus that they could take the body. They went back to the cross. They took Jesus' body off of the cross and then they carried him to the tomb, which was hewn out of stone, a rich man's tomb, Joseph of Arimathea's tomb, which was, was a, a short distance. When we go to Israel, and I believe that we actually go to the site, Golgotha, the place of the skull. I've showed you this you know, in previous weeks, where Jesus was crucified. And it's about 200 yards from there that you have a tomb that was basically discovered in about 18, it was about 1864, it was excavated, and they found a tomb there that was in a garden that had no body in it, a sealed tomb. That is a, that is a picture of um, essentially the garden tomb property. Again, we, we go there, uh, uh, Lenny has led us in wonderful worship services there, I've been there 
done worship services seven times through the years, and uh, we may go again. And uh, the tomb, so you, the tomb is here, and the Skull Hill, or Golgotha, is here. And it's, again, it's about, it's about 200 yards between the two. And that, that fits right into the narrative of what we are told in the Gospel of John. So they, they took the body of Jesus, they laid it in the tomb, and very tenderly, let me say this, they tenderly wrapped the body, they uh, wrapped it in linen, and they basically embalmed his body in the spices. And then they rolled the stone, okay, over the, the, the face of the tomb. The women who had followed, they saw this all being done. And um, that's where Jesus was laid on Friday. And that's where his body rested on Saturday up until Sunday morning. That is a, a, a modern-day picture. If you go to Israel, we go there, we go inside, and um, it's a wonderful experience. I know those of you who have gone with me, we come, have pictures of people coming out of the tomb with their arms raised, and it's uh, a whole lot of fun. Key thing here, Jesus was buried. That's, that's a, a key part of essentially the narrative, okay, in the Gospels, in the Epistles, as well as in what are called the creeds. I want to show you this in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 3 through 4. For I delivered you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 3 through 4. That is what the four Gospels tell us. That is what 1 Corinthians 15 tell us. The Apostles' Creed. These were, these were doctrinal statements that the early church fathers, okay, they basically, it's a, it's a scriptural commentary. And one of the, the, the key things here, it says, he suffered unto Pontius Pilate, he was crucified, died, and buried. In 325, the Nicene Creed, right? For our sake, he was crucified unto Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. He was buried. That's important. It's an important statement, right? Well, why, you know, why is that important? Because through the centuries, there have been conspiracy theories that Jesus did not die on the cross, but that he swooned on the cross. Which means he was semi-conscious. He was in a coma. And then he came out of the coma. And so if you've ever come across the Gnostic Gospels, which are not Gospels, and fools portray this stuff as it was something written by Thomas or some of the other apostles. By the way, the Da Vinci Code, you saw the movie? The Da Vinci Code, or maybe you read the book, is based upon the Gnostic Gospels. People watch the Da Vinci Code and they say, Jesus never died on the cross. He swooned on the cross and then he... Basically, he was healed, he recovered, and he married Mary Magdalene, and then he had many children. And fools, look at that. Let me just tell you this. A one-year Bible student who understands the Scriptures could refute the Da Vinci Code. And I've sat with, I've sat with fools who buy into this stuff and never really stop to examine, to examine all the facts. So... It's so important to see that it's affirmed in the scriptures, Jesus died on the cross and he was buried. In fulfillment of the scriptures, Psalm chapter 16, 10, written a thousand years before Jesus walked the earth, 
for you will not leave my soul in Sheol. You will not leave my soul in the grave. Nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 9, and they made his grave, the quibar in Hebrew, the sepulcher, the tomb. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. The Old Testament prophecies predicted that the Messiah would die and be buried. Now, Saturday, the Pharisees and Sadducees, the leaders of the Sanhedrin, are so concerned that the apostles are going to come and steal his body and then say he was raised from the dead because he predicted over and over again that he would be raised from the dead. And you see this in Matthew chapter 27, 62 through 66. On the next day which followed the day of preparation, that is Saturday, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together to Pilate saying, so we remember while he was still alive, how that deceiver said after three days he will rise. Therefore command that the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away. And say to the people, he has risen from the dead, so the last deception will be worse than the first. And Pilate said to them, you have a guard, go your way, make it as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure. Notice these last key words, sealing the stone and setting a guard. Sealing the stone and setting the guard. How did they seal the stone? That is a Roman signet ring. Essentially what they would take if they were going to seal something, they would take a piece of wax and they would press the ring into the wax. So the, seal, uh, the sealing of the stone, they basically would put some essentially ties around the stone and there in the middle would be the wax seal with the signet ring upon it to break that seal, to break that seal, was punishable by crucifixion, but not only crucifixion, crucifixion to be done upside down. Then they put a guard. It says a guard. It doesn't mean one. A Roman guard consisted of four soldiers. So the, the thought, again, the conspiracy theories that have been fabricated in the time of Jesus and through the centuries is that the apostles suddenly got the huspah, okay, to come and take on four Roman soldiers, break the seal, and steal the body. We'll get into this as we look at the resurrection in upcoming weeks. Jesus was dead. Jesus was embalmed. Jesus was wrapped. And the stone was rolled in front of the sepulcher by two men, very unlikely men. Think about this. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, Pharisees. Remember I talked last week about stranger things? Well, this is one of those very strange things because they are the most unlikely people you would have expected to be the ones to take Jesus' body down from the cross and buried. I mean, you would have thought maybe the apostles... They were Pharisees. They belonged to the Pharisee cult. 
And they were members of the Sanhedrin, members of the 70. These were people who hated Jesus. They plotted to murder him. They manipulated Pilate and into essentially crucifying Jesus. They are implicated in the crucifixion of Jesus. They are two men running with the wrong crowd. You ever see people running with the wrong crowd? So I want to share with you four things here about Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea. The first is come out of the closet. They are two men who were hiding in the closet. And in John chapter 19, 38 through 39, after this, Joseph of Arimathea being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, he was a secret disciple for fear of the Jews. He was fearful if they knew that he was a follower of Jesus, he'd be excommunicated from the Sanhedrin, from the synagogue, and he would be denounced as a Pharisee. So they asked Pilate that they might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body of Jesus, and Nicodemus, who first came to Jesus by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. They came out of the closet. They broke ranks and they separated themselves from the Pharisee cult in Mark 15 verse 42 through 43 it says now when evening had come because it was the preparation day that is the day before the Sabbath Joseph of Arimathea a prominent council member who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God coming and taking courage he went into Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus they Courage. They got the courage up to denounce, right, the religiosity, the cult, and to take a stand for Jesus. They came out of the closet. You ever see secret believers of Jesus? Secret believers. They, they're incognito. They, they, they hide their faith from their family members from their neighbors, from their friends, from their co-workers. They're, they're embarrassed. They're embarrassed. They're fearful. They're afraid. Because if they knew, they'd think maybe that you're some kind of religious fanatic. What are you, one of those, one of those religious freaks? Are you a Jesus freak? And they're embarrassed. So they, they hide, they hide. And in church though, they'll be hooting, hollering, and praising the Lord and clapping their hands and lifting their hands up on high. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. But when they're out in the world, they don't want anyone to know that they are a follower of Jesus. Jesus said, in Matthew chapter 10, 32 to 33, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Could he really mean that? There are a lot of verses, right, that, that church people read, and they're like, well, that, you know, that, that, doesn't really, that, that doesn't really apply to me. But did he mean that? I think he did. I want to show you something 
I use this, I use this in, I do a lot of, a lot of coaching with, with businesses and different people in marketing. And um, it's basically the, the, the outer, outer concern or the pressure from outer concern compared to the, essentially the pressure of inner influence. Outer concern is, is about what others people think of you, their opinions, whether they're going to like you or dislike you. And a person who is greatly influenced by outer concern, they're characterized by a lot of fear and worry and anxiety about, again, what the people on the outside are thinking of them. The person who's characterized by inner influence, they, they are driven by their core values and their beliefs. Essentially, a Christian who is influenced by the Holy Spirit, there will be great influence within that conquers the concern of what people think without. When the inner influence is weak or poor, the person is deeply concerned about what people think about them. And those thoughts, those concerns dominate their life. When a person is influenced internally, their main concern is what God thinks about them. Nicodemus and Joseph, they were very weak inwardly at first. Uh, they had a lot of that outward concern. They were concerned about what the Pharisees thought about them. They're, they're dominated by essentially, again, those concerns about, again, what would they think of us? What would they do to us? Their consciousness, again, was dominated from the concern without, but they changed. They, they came to a place somewhere along the line they came to a place where the inner influence became greater than the outer influence and they got the courage to come out of the closet. I want to I show you a passage that really hit me many years ago. In 1 Corinthians 4, verses 3 through 4, Paul says this. He says, for as for me, it matters very little how I might be evaluated by you or by any human authority. I don't even trust my own judgment on this point. My conscience is clear, but that doesn't prove I'm right. It is the Lord himself who will examine me and decide. I want you to see, I'll paraphrase that for you. He is saying, I don't care what you think of me. I don't even care what I think of myself. The only thing that matters is what God thinks of me. That is an, a, a, a tremendous place of power to come to. That is a place of champions. That is, that is the place of, of winners. Because you can't, you can't live your life effectively, you can't live your life successfully if you're constantly walking around worried about what people think of you. It's crippling. It's debilitating. The, thing that Paul is saying here, essentially this is a, this is a death to the ego. That, that little monster inside of you that keeps you in its cage, it keeps you in captivity, it keeps you from being free and becoming the person that God created you to be. It keeps you from having that boldness of a lion. Instead you live inwardly with the cowardice of a mouse. 
So lesson one, come out of the closet. Nicodemus and Joseph of Marathmathia did come out of the closet. Number two, give Jesus your best. So in verse 39 through 42 of John chapter 19, and Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. And then they took the body of Jesus and bound it in strips of linen with spices, as the custom of the Jews is to bury. Now, in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So there they laid Jesus because of the Jews' preparation day for the tomb was nearby. Now, watch this. He came, or they came, with a mixture of myrrhs and aloes of 100 pounds. The, the normal embalming was about 2 pounds. 100 pounds, and now this is what they, they guesstimate, the worth of 100 pounds would have been worth, they say, between $150,000 and $200,000. Now, they were very wealthy, but they gave their best. They gave their all. And then a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. In Matthew chapter 27, 59 through 60, gives us some insight. When Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in clean linen cloth and laid it in a new tomb which had been hewn out of rock. And they rolled a large stone against the door of the tomb and departed. A new tomb hewn out of rock. Again, the excavation of the garden tomb in 1860s. Here are some pictures. I mean, we've been inside. This is what it looks like. And they had, they had to put up a fence because the people would go over. Uh, they would kiss. They would touch. They would scratch the rocks <laughs> Off. You know, through the centuries, there would be there would be no slab where Jesus laid there. But the size the size of that tomb is twenty five feet wide, fifty feet long, and under six feet high. Imagine the stonemason who had to go in there and you out that stone to be able to create this. Again, guesstimates on cost would have been tens of thousands of dollars to create this sepulcher, to create this tomb. And then, again, a large stone. This was a, a large stone to, to actually take the rock and then to be able to, again, carve out that stone, costing, again, tens of thousands of dollars. But they gave their best. They gave their, their very best. Malachi chapter 1 verse 8, God is very angry with Israel, especially angry with the peace priests of Israel. And in verse 8 of chapter 1, and when you offer the blind, they were offering blind sacrifice. They're supposed to offer a sacrifice without blemish. And they were offering blind sacrifices. He said, is this not evil? And when you offer the lame and the sick, is this not evil? Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? They were giving God their worst, their worst. I've been pastoring for 40 years, 10 years traveling around in other churches, 30 years here. I see a lot of people who give God their leftovers. There are, there are three things that we give to God. 
We, we give to God our time, our treasure, and our talents. You should write that down. We give him our time, our treasure, and our talents. Are you giving him your best? The best of your time, the best of your treasures, and the best of your talents. There are people in the church who could be extremely cheap. Cheap, 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 cheap. They are cheap with their time, they are cheap with their talents, and they're cheap with their treasures. I learned a lesson very early as a very young pastor. I went to lunch with seven other pastors. And um, after lunch, the bill came. And one of them grabbed the bill, but he wasn't going to pay it. He began to itemize. And he began to go around from person to person saying, this is how much you owe. You had a hamburger, you had fries, you, know, you had the chicken sandwich, you had the salad. And he went around the room, and as he was, as he was doing that, I grew up in a family who they'd fight over the bill. I learned that from my father, my mother. They'd fight over the bill. And so I, I just reached out and I grabbed the bill and I crushed it in my hands and I got up and I paid the bill. I was on a pastor's salary. Didn't have a whole lot of money, but I paid the whole bill. And I walked out. And I said, I ain't never having lunch again with that guy. The friends that I run with, you know what? They not only reach out for the bill, they pay the bill before we go into the restaurant. I went out with these two friends one day. And when I got there, I went to the maitre d' and I said to him, I said, I want to pay the bill. Here's my credit card. He took the card. They did it before me. And so when he came back, he gave me the card and they had already paid the bill. Generous. And by the way, not, I see this sometimes people who are not Christians and they're like this. They're so generous. They're so generous. Luke, Luke says this in Luke chapter 638. He records the words of the Lord. Given it will be given to you. Have you ever heard that one before? A good measure pressed down and shaken together and running over will be put into your bosom. You know what that speaks about? It speaks about they would go in and they would take their outer garment and fold it when they were getting grain. And then the person would pour grain in. And the idea is they're getting so much grain like they're going to walk home like, like this. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. I have found that to be extremely true. In Pilgrim's Progress, there was a story, and it says, there was a man whose name was Mad. The more he gave, the more he had. Lenny, you found that to be true, right? Or you found that to be true, right? It's like, the more you give, the more you get. I found that, I found that to be true in giving to the Lord in business, giving away, just giving away freely to people, that it always comes back to you. Don't be stingy. Don't be tight-fisted. See, the problem when you're tight-fisted, God can't put anything into it. <laughs> he can't get anything. He can't get it in there. Time, 
talents, treasure. You have to open it up to give it away and then God can put, he can put more into it. So second lesson from Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, give Jesus your best. Number three, treat Jesus with tender affection. There there is a tenderness in what Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus did in the burial of Jesus in Mark chapter 15, verse 45 through 46. So when he found out from the centurion, he granted the body of Joseph and then he brought fine linen, took him down and wrapped him in the linen. And he laid him in a tomb which had been hewn out of rock and rolled a stone against the door for the tomb. Sometimes, sometimes in the English, you know, we don't get the actual mood. And the Greek word has a mood to it. And there's a mood here of great tenderness and affection. Careful attention to the details and the way they treated the body of the Lord. We sing in the song, Lead Me to Calvary, in one of the stanzas, Show me the tomb where thou wast laid, tenderly mourned and wept. Angels in robe of light arrayed guarded thee whilst thou slept. Tenderly mourned and wept. They were just tender, careful in the way they handled the body of our Lord. In Luke chapter 7, there's the story of the sinful woman. And you see here in this woman a a tender love and affection for Jesus. She She came to believe. Somewhere before she entered that room, she came to believe that Jesus was the Messiah and that she was forgiven of all her sins. And apparently she had many of them. So she came, she burst in through the crowd. She fell at his feet. And she began to wash his feet with her tears. She poured perfume upon his feet. And she wiped his feet with her hair and kissed his feet. Just treating Jesus with this tender care and affection. And the Pharisees saw it and said, if he knew what kind of woman that is, what kind of woman that was, he he would never let her do what she's doing. And Jesus said to him, I came to your house. You didn't wash my feet. You didn't even give me water to wash my feet. You didn't do anything. But she came and she wept on my feet, anointed my feet, wiped my feet with her hair. He said, for she was forgiven much. Therefore, she loved much. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? I find the people who have come to to grasp the depth, the height, the width, the breadth of the love of God of what he did on the cross six hours that Friday, who have really come to see that, that those nails in his hands were meant for ours, those nails in his feet were meant for theirs, that cross was meant for them, The separation when he cried out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That very hell that was placed upon Jesus while he was on the cross was meant for them. That those people who come to grasp that, they think about it a lot. They meditate on it a lot. 
that they seem to have a greater love for God because they realize again the great price he paid to pay for their forgiveness. In Psalm chapter 2, verse 12, it says, Kiss the son lest he be angry. A kiss is a, is a show of tender affection. I'm not a kissy person. You know, some people are kissy, kissy, kissy. When I see them coming, I'm like, I'm getting out of here. <laughs> you know, we get some men, they come up, and they're going to kiss you on the neck. Be careful, I'm going to butt you on the head. I kiss my wife, I kiss my mother, I kiss my daughters, my son, I kiss my grandchildren. Yesterday, Nathaniel kissed me four times. He kisses me like he's one years old. He goes like, <laughs> right on the head. <laughs> I'll take all the kisses I can get from Nathaniel, from Giancarlo, my granddaughters. A kiss is a very tender thing. Kiss the sun. I kiss the sun. When you get to heaven, what are you going to do when you're standing before Jesus? Some people, I'm going to praise the Lord. I'm going to do a dance. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to fall at his feet. And if he'd let me, I'd kiss his feet. Because I am totally unworthy, undeserving of all he has done for me and all he has given me. So third lesson, treat Jesus with tender affection. Lesson four, last lesson. Fail forward. Progress forward instead of degressing backwards. And when you fail, let me just say this, you will fail. I'm going to prophesy over you. Here's a prophecy. You will all at some point in the future some near, some far, you are going to fail in your Christian life. We're going to fail. When you fail, fail forward though. Don't fail backwards. Some people, they, they just continuously go through life failing, but continuously failing backwards, and their life gets worse and worse and worse and worse and worse, sometimes even leading to death. The Christian life is not neutral. You are either moving closer to Jesus or you're moving away from Jesus. You're either moving and getting better in your Christian life or moving and getting worse. Growing in the spirit or growing in the flesh. You're either moving one direction or not. The opposite. But we will fail. When we fail... Again, I, I encourage you to fail forward because what you see in these, in these two men, they failed. They failed big. But they failed forward. Let me just show you. Nicodemus came to Jesus early in Jesus' ministry. It was in John chapter 3. We all know what, right? It's the born again passage. John 3 verses 3 through 9. He came to him inquiring. He says, Jesus answered to him, most assuredly I say to you, unless you... Uh, one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? 
I'm not getting it. I, I, don't, I don't understand what you mean by this, a man must be born again. But notice, notice what he does here. Jesus, in verse 5, answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. Watch Nicodemus again. Nicodemus answered and said, How can these things be. He's not getting it. You know, and some people don't get it. I see people, they come into it. They, they don't get it. And that's it. They're done. They're gone. <laughs> they're never going to inquire again. They're never going to pick up the Bible again. They just don't get it and they're out of here. But notice what they kept doing and what he kept doing. What did he keep doing? He kept asking questions. He kept seeking, he kept knocking, right? He kept pursuing. And somewhere, again, along the line, as, as he is failing, he's failing to get it, somewhere along the line, Nicodemus got it. He got it. When you fail, fail forward. Joseph and Nicodemus were Pharisees. There were 6,000 Pharisees in all of Israel, and they were also members of the Sanhedrin, the 70 elders. These were the judges. These were the big kahunas of Israel. They were associated with the wrong people. They're running with the wrong crowd. I mean, these people, somebody sent me an email this week about something I said last week. I said, I hate religious people, and they said, you shouldn't hate. Let me just say that it was the religious people who put Jesus on the cross. I hate everything about the Pharisees, and I hate everything about modern-day Pharisees. When I, when I look at, at, at these religious Pharisees in churches today, you want to tell me you like when you see them molesting children? Manipulating and conning people out of their money? While they, while they have two Lear jets and live in five mansions, that doesn't bother you? Hate everything about them. They were bad people. They were evil people. They hated Jesus. They plotted his death. Some of them blasphemed the Holy Spirit. We taught on this on Wednesday night. Committing the unpardonable sin. He did the miracles right in front of them and they said, oh, he was doing them by Beelzebub, by the devil. They called him a Samaritan. They called him a drunk. They called him a sinner. They called him demon-possessed. If you're in this crowd, you're running with the wrong crowd. Listen to what Jesus said about them. He said, you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. He said that seven times. Called them hypocrites seven times in Matthew 23. They were, they were such phonies, right? When they, would, when they would do a good deed, what did they do? They blew the shofar. And said, look at me, look what I've done. They're always bragging about, look and see what I've done. That's a Pharisaic tendency. When they pray, they pray really loud. Boisterous prayers. And when they fast, they'd make themselves look all disheveled and sick. What's, what's the matter, Pharisee Simon? 
I've been fasting. I skipped breakfast this morning. Hypocrites, fakes, phonies. He called them whitewashed tombs. Right? They're all about image. It's all about image, not about substance. They're fakes. When uh, he said of them, you strain the gnat and swallow the camel. They, they, they majored in the minors and they totally neglected the majors of obedience, love, and faith. You see, you see church people, like, they focus on these, on these insignificant little things. And I suppose sometimes a, a person goes up to me and says, Pastor, you said the word damn in church. I'm so offended. We're offended that you use the word damn. I'm offended by your life. I'm offended by your laziness. I'm offended by your apathy. I'm offended by your lukewarmness. I'm offended that you're in the church of Laodicea and the church of living, instead of the church living word community. I'm highly offended. I'm highly offended. So you're offended, good. I'm offended too. Just focus, focus on the minors instead of taking a good look at your soul and focusing on the majors and what's really wrong with your life. How is your devotion? How is your love for Christ? How is your passion for Christ? How is your consistency in walking with the Lord and glorifying Him? In your witness, both outwardly and inwardly. Your study of the Word, your worship, your attendance. And focus on the little things. That's the Pharisees. He called them a brood of vipers. A brood of vipers. By the way, these guys, again... They're failing, and they're, they're just continuing to fail backwards. By the way, to the point, in 70 AD, they're wiped out. No more Pharisees after that. 70 AD, Titus and the Roman legions, they destroyed the temple. That's the end of the Pharisees. They're failures. Failing, failing backwards, failing backwards. And, and Joseph and Nicodemus... They belong to a cult of failures, but they failed forward. They failed forward. They failed right out of them. Who are your friends? Who are you associated with? Who is the group that you run with? Who are the people that you hang with? Take a look at them, because you will become like them. And they will drag you. They will drag you into their failures. Let me tell you, I'll tell you this story. A number of years ago, I had this guy recommended to me. He's a marketing genius. Marketing genius. And I hire him. And he, he helps me with my business, with marketing. Brilliant marketing genius. But as I, as I get to know him, I'm seeing that his life is just filled with failure. Filled with failure. And um, he's failing backwards, not forwards. And it's interesting, the calls that I'm doing with him, he's giving me 10 minutes of uh, marketing advice and I'm giving him 50 minutes of life coaching. So he's, he's on his fourth marriage and he's, it's failing. And he's in horrible physical condition and his health is failing. He, he's a, a, a very, I mean, morally immoral guy, and he's failing there. But he's failing in all aspects of his life. 
But again, he's, fail, he's failing backwards. And I finally, I finally, you know, what am I doing with this guy? What am I, what am, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm paying him and I'm coaching him. But what am I, and, and I broke, I broke ranks. I broke ranks. Even though he was, he was really good understanding marketing. But the rest of his life was a complete, was a complete disaster, was a complete mess. And again, he's failing when I share the gospel with him. Wanted nothing to hear about Jesus. He's Jewish, kind of a Jewish atheist. But he wanted nothing, nothing to hear about Jesus, nothing to hear about Yeshua, nothing to hear about the Jewish Messiah. Just failing. When, when we fail, fail forward. Nicodemus and Joseph failed forward. You know where they failed forward into? They failed forward right into the arms of Yeshua. Right out of the cult into the arms of Yeshua. So I say this, when you fail, fail forward. Fail forward into the arms of Jesus. Because you will fail. But when you fail, fail forward. Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea did. So here's our, here's our, our final application. Right? Four points. Come out of the closet. If you, if you are a, co- a closet church person, come out. Again, think of what Jesus said. If you will not proclaim his name before men, he's not going to proclaim your name before the angels of heaven and his father. That's a, that you really take that to heart. And stop worrying about what people think of you. <laughs> Most of these people, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Number two, give Jesus your best. Because he gave you his best. He gave you his all. He gave you himself. Give Jesus the best of your time, the best of your treasure, and the best of your talents. Take that and think about that. Number three, treat Jesus with tender affection. Kiss the son. Love him. And love him tenderly. Love him affectionately. And when you fail, for you will fail, fail forward. We will stumble, we will trip, and we will fall. And when you do, fall and fail into his arms because he's always there. He's always there. Listen, when you fail, Satan will come and he will pour gas on your fire of failure. He will try to create a wedge between you and the Lord, your failure. Right? He's the accuser of the brethren. You're a failure, Pastor Frank. Look at the way you lost your temper. I sometimes can lose my temper. How can you do that? God cannot love you when you... He doesn't love you because when you act that way, you're a failure. How can you think of, of coming to church and preaching the word? How can you think of praying? How can you think of, of coming to God through his word? I learned the lesson. When I fail, I fail forward into the arms of Jesus. Learning that truth is a key to success. It's a key to successful living in Christ. Fail forward. Amen? I pray and hope you take these wonderful lessons from Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea and take them, implement them in your life. They're they're life-changing, life-transforming. Let's pray together. 
Lord Jesus. Thank you for the great lesson that you have given to us. Lord, you could have just been said that you were taken from the cross and put into a tomb and the mention of Joseph of Arimathea or Nicodemus could never have been said, but you gave us a lesson in your word of, of two men. Two men, Lord, who Lord came out of a treacherous cult to be your followers and believe in you, and Lord, to do this very beautiful thing, which was to bury you with tender care and love. And they came out of the closet. And Lord, even though they failed, they failed forward right into your arms. Teach us this lesson imprinted upon our hearts and minds. And Lord Jesus, be the king of our lives and be glorified. In your precious name, amen. Stand with me. The altars are open if you would like to come forward. I'm going to invite a sister to come forward. We're going to pray over you today for your surgery. People want to come forward for prayer. You're welcome to. I'll ask some of the the elders and the deacons make your way up to pray with me over her. Thank you, Pastor Frank. And Lord, thank you for your word. What a great word from the word. Amen. The altars are open, as Pastor said. Let's... uh, Continue in the presence of the Lord and worshiping Him.
God, our Father, and Jesus Christ, our Savior, and the Holy Spirit, our power source, our comforter. May he go with you all and bless you. May he watch over you. May he bless the work of your hands. May he bless your marriages and your families and your children. May the Lord God fill your hearts with his peace and your minds with his joy. Jesus, go with you all. Amen. Amen. Amen.